Chapter Ten, Part Two of the Tree of Appomattox. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by K. Hand. The Tree of Appomattox by Joseph A. Altscheller. Chapter Ten: An Unbeaten Foe, Part Two. The army of Early had not been destroyed entirely. Sheridan, with all his energy and with all the courage and zeal of his men, could not absolutely crush his foe some portions of the hostile force were continually slipping away and now early refusing to give up was gathering them together again and was meditating a daring counterstroke the task might well have appalled any general and any troops but if early had one quality in preeminence it was the resolution to fight and most of his officers and men were veterans many of them had ridden with jackson on his marvelous campaigns they were familiar with the taste of victory and defeat had been very bitter to them they burned to strike back and they were willing to dare anything for the sake of it orders had already gone to all the scattered and ragged fragments and the men in gray were concentrating many of them were half starved the great valley had been stripped of all its livestock all its grain and of every other resource that would avail an army nothing could be obtained except at staunton ninety miles back of fisher's hill and wagons could not bring up food in time from such a distant place nevertheless the men gleaned they searched the fields for any corn that might be left and ate it roasted or parched along the slopes of the mountains they found nuts already ripening and these were prizes indeed among the gleaners were harry kenton the staunch young presbyterian dalton and the south carolinians st clair and langdon st clair alone was impeccable of uniform absolutely trim and langdon alone deserved his nickname of happy don't be discouraged boys he said as he pulled from the stalk an ear of corn that the hoofs of the northern cavalry had failed to trample under now this is a fine ear a splendid ear and if you boys search well you may be able to find others like it all things come to him who looks long enough remember how nebuchadnezzar ate grass and he must have had to do some hunting too because i understand grass didn't grow very freely in that part of the world and then remember also that we are not down to grass yet corn nuts and maybe a stray pumpkin or two tis a repast fit for the gods noble sirs i can go without part of the time said harry but it hurts me to have to hunt through a big field for a nubbin of corn and then feel happy when i've got the wretched dirty insignificant little thing my father often has hundred acres of corn in a single field producing fifty bushels to the acre and my father said dalton has a single field of fifty acres that produces fifteen hundred bushels of wheat but it's been a long time since i've seen a shock of wheat console yourself with the knowledge said harry that it's too late in the year for wheat to be in the stack or anywhere else either so far as we're concerned don't murmur said happy mourners seldom find anything but optimists find often didn't i tell you so here's another ear harry had approached the edge of the field and he saw something red gleaming through a fringe of woods beyond the experienced eye of youth told him at once what it is and he called to his comrades come on boys he said there's a little orchard beyond the wood i know there is because i caught a glimpse of a red apple hanging from a tree i suppose the skirt of forest kept the yankee raiders from seeing it they followed with a shout of joy treasure trove exclaimed happy who's an optimist now asked harry all of us are said st clair they passed through the wood and entered a small orchard not more than half an acre but it was filled with apple trees loaded with red apples big juicy fellows just ripened by the october sun a little beyond the orchard in a clearing was a small log house obviously that of the owner of the orchard and obviously deserted no smoke rose from the chimneys and windows and doors were nailed up the proprietor no doubt had gone with his family to some town and the apples would have rotted on the ground had the young officers not found them 
there must be bushels and bushels here said st Clair. we'll fill up our sacks first and then call the other men they had brought sacks with them for the corn but the few ears they had found took up but little space i'll climb the trees and shake em down said harry he was up a tree in an instant all his boyhood coming back to him and as he shook with his whole strength the red apples held now by twigs nearly dead rained down they passed from tree to tree and soon their sacks were filled now for the colonel said st Clair. and on our way we'll tell the others bending under the weight of the sacks they took their own course toward a snug cove in the first slope of the massanutons hailing friends on the way and sending them with swift steps toward the welcome orchard they passed within the shadow of a grove and then entered a small open space where two men sat on neighboring stumps with an empty box between them upon the box reposed a board of chessmen and at intervals the two intent players spoke if you expect to capture my remaining night hector you'll have to hurry we march to-morrow i can't be hurried leonidas this is an intellectual game and if it's played properly it demands time if i don't take your remaining night before to-morrow i'll take him a month from now after this campaign is over i have my doubts hector i've heard you boast before i never boast leonidas at times i make statements and prophecies but i trust that i'm too modest a man ever to boast then advance your battle line hector and see what you can do it's your move the two gray heads bent so low over the narrow board that they almost touched for a little space the campaign the war and all their hardships floated away from them their minds absorbed thoroughly in the difficult game which had come in the dim past out of the east they did not see anything around them nor did they hear harry as he approached them with the heavy sack of apples upon his back harry's affection for both of the colonels was strong and as he looked at them he realized more than ever their utter unworldliness he although a youth saw that they belonged to a passing era but in their very unworldliness lay their attraction he knew that whatever the fortunes of the war they would if they lived prove good citizens after its close all rancor no not rancor because they felt none rather all hostility would be buried on the battlefield and the friend whom they would be most anxious to see and welcome was john carrington the great northern artilleryman who had done their cause so much damage he opened his sack and let the red waterfall of apples pour down at their feet startled by the noise they looked up despite a critical situation on the board then they looked down again at the scarlet heap upon the grass and powerful though the attractions of chess were they were very hungry men and the shining little pyramid held their gaze apples apples harry said colonel talbot many apples magnificent red and ripe is it real no leonidas it can't be real said lieutenant colonel hector st hilaire it can't be possible in a country that shared and swept as bare as the palm of my hand it's only an idle dream leonidas i was deceived by it myself for a moment but we will not yield any longer to such weakness come we will return to our game where every move has now become vital but it isn't a dream sir it's real exclaimed harry joyfully we found an abandoned orchard and it was just filled with them help yourselves the colonels put away their chessmen remembering well where every one had stood and fell on with the appetites of boys other officers and then soldiers who were made welcome joined them harry and dalton after having eaten their share were walking along the slope of the mountain when they heard the sound of a shot it seemed to come from a dense thicket and as no northern skirmishes could be near their curiosity caused them to rush forward when they entered the thicket they heard langdon's voice raised in a shout of triumph i got him i got him he cried then they heard a heavy sliding sound as of something being dragged and the young south carolinian appeared pulling after him by its hind legs a fine hog which he had shot through the head 
it was fair game he cried as he saw his friends piggy here was masterless roaming through the woods feeding on nuts until he was fat and juicy my how good he will taste at first i thought he was a bear but bear or hog he was bound to fall to my pistol langdon had indeed found a prize and he had robbed no farmer to obtain it harry and dalton stood by for a half minute and gloated with him then they helped him drag the hog into the cove where the colonel sat a half dozen experts quickly dressed the animal and the invincibles had a feast such as they had not tasted in a long time didn't i tell you said happy as he gazed contentedly into the coals over which the hog had been roasted in sections that those who look hard generally discover that is seek and ye shall find it's the optimists who arrive your pessimist quits before he comes to the apple trees or before he reaches the thicket that conceals the fine fat pig as for me i am always an optimist twenty-four carats fine and therefore i am the superior of you fellows you're happier than we are because you don't feel any sense of responsibility said dalton i'd rather be unhappy than have an empty head oh it's just jealous you are george dalton born with a sour disposition you can't bear to see me shedding joy and light about me dalton laughed it's true happy he said you do help and for that reason we tolerate you not because of your prowess in battle has anybody seen that fellow slade again asked st clair i am thankful to say no replied harry he came out of the southwest promising big things and he certainly does have great skill in the forest but our officers don't like his looks nor did i if there was ever a thorough villain i'm sure he's one I've heard that he's drawn off and is operating with a band of guerrillas in the mountains, robbing and murdering, I suppose. And they say that a big ruffian from the Kentucky mountains with another band has joined him, said Happy. What's his name? asked Harry with sudden interest. Skelly, I think. Bill Skelly. Why, I know that fella. He comes from the hills back of our town of Pendleton, and he claimed to be on the Union side. He and his band fired upon me at the very opening of the war if you are not careful he'll be firing upon you again he may have started out as a union man but he's shifting around now i fancy to suit his own plundering and robbing forces we'll hear of their operations later and it won't be a pretty story they talked of many things and after a while harry and st clair were sent with a message to the crest of three top mountain where the confederate signal station was located and from which the union officers had taken the dispatch about the coming of longstreet with a strong force both were fully aware of the great movement contemplated by early and their minds now went back to march and battle the climb up the mountain was pleasant to such muscles and sinews as theirs and they stopped at intervals to look over the valley now a great desolation until nature should come again with her healing touch harry smothered a sigh as he recalled their early and wonderful victories there and the tremendous marches with the invincible stonewall old jack as he sat somewhere with washington and cromwell and all the group of the mighty must feel sad when he looked down upon this his beloved valley now trodden into a ruin by the heel of the invader he resolutely put down the choking in his throat and would not let st clair see his emotion they reached the signal station which at that hour was in charge of a young officer named mortimer but a little older than themselves they delivered to him their message and stood by while he talked with flags to another station on the opposite mountain harry watched curiously although he could read none of the signals this is our only newspaper and i can't read it he said when mortimer had finished what's the news there's a lot of it and it's heavy with importance replied mortimer tell us a bit of it can't you sheridan has left his army and gone north that's one bit what it's so we know absolutely and we've signaled it to general early but we don't know why he has gone that is important it surely is and he's taken his cavalry with him our men have seen the troops riding northward 
since sheridan went away the union commander whoever he is has been strengthening his right fearing an attack there since he learned of our reappearance in the valley therefore general early will tack on the left correct you can see now the value of signal stations like ours we look down upon the enemy and see his movements then we know what to do and what they have on their left asked harry do you know that too of course general crook with two divisions is there he has cedar creek in front of him and on his own left the north folk of the shenandoah he's considerably in the front of the main union force and they haven't posted much of a picket line i suppose they're relying upon the natural strength of the ground that's it i take it but we may give them a surprise harry and dalton used their glasses and far to the north they saw dim figures not larger than toys at first view they appeared to be stationary but as the eyes became used to the distance harry knew they were moving apparently they were infantry going toward the union right where danger was feared and he felt a grim satisfaction in knowing that the real danger lay on their left but could early with his small numbers with the habit now of defeat make any impression upon the large union armies flushed with victories harry wondered if dick was among those moving troops but his second thought told him it was not likely they had learned from spies that the winchester regiment was mounted and in all probability it was part of the cavalry that had gone north with sheridan but he thought again how strange it was that the two should have been face to face at the second manassas and then after a wide separation involving so many great battles and marches should come here into the valley of virginia face to face once more mortimer and his assistants presently began to manipulate the flags again and confederate signalmen on a far peak replied Harry and St. Clair watched them with all the curiosity that a mystery inspires. "'Can we ask again,' said Harry, when they had finished, "'what you fellows were saying?' Mortimer laughed. "'It was a quick dialogue,' he replied, "'but it was intended for the Yankees down in the valley, "'who we have learned have deciphered some of our signals. "'I said to Struther on the other peak, six thousand. "'He replied, no, eight thousand. "'I said in center or on their right flank. "'He replied, on their right flank. "'I said two thousand fresh horses?' He replied, nearer twenty-five hundred. I said, five hundred fresh beeves from the other side of the Blue Ridge. He replied, good news, we need em. I wish it was true, but it will set our Yankee friends to thinking. I see, your talk was meant to fool the Yankees. Yes, and we need to fool em as much as we can. It's a daring venture that we're entering upon, but it's great luck for us to have shared in a way. It looks like a good omen to me. And to me, too. We used to say that old Jack was an army corps, and he was, two of them, for that matter. Then Sheridan is worth at least ten thousand men to the Yankees. Good-bye. We'd like to see more of your work with the flags, but down below they need Captain St. Clair, who is a terrible fighter. We can't hope to beat the Yankees with St. Clair away. Mortimer smiled, waved them farewell, and a few minutes later was at work once more with the flags. Meanwhile, Harry and St. Clair were descending the mountain, pausing now and then to survey the valley with their glasses, where they could yet mark the movements of the northern troops. When they reached the cove, they found that the board and the chessmen were put away, and that the two colonels were inspecting the invincibles to see that the last detail was done, while Early made ready for his desperate venture. Harry and his comrades were fully conscious that it was a forlorn hope. They had been driven out of the valley once by superior numbers and equipment, directed by a leader of great skill and energy but now they had come back to risk everything in a daring venture the union forces of course knew of their presence in the old lines about fisher's hill shepherd alone was sufficient to warn them of it but they could scarcely expect an attack by a foe of small numbers already defeated several times harry's thought of shepherd sent him to surmising the spy no longer presented himself to his mind as a foe to be hated rather he was an official enemy whom he liked he even remembered with a smile their long duel when lee was retreating from gettysburg and particularly their adventure in the river 
would that duel between them be renewed intuition told him that shepherd was in the valley and if sheridan was worth ten thousand men the spy was at worth at least one thousand the invincibles were ready to the last man and it did not require any great counting to reach the last yet the two colonels as they rode before their scanty numbers held themselves as proudly as ever and the hearts of their young officers in spite all of the odds began to beat high with hope the advance was to be made after dark and their pulses were leaping as twilight came and then the night the march of the southern army to deal its lightning stroke was prepared well and fortunately for it a heavy fog came up late in the night from the rivers and creeks of the valley to cover its movement and hide the advancing columns from its foe when harry felt the damp touch of the vapor on his face his hopes rose yet higher he knew that weather fog rain snow and flooding rivers played a great part in the fortunes of war might not the kindly fog encircling them with its protection be a good omen chance favors us he said to st clair and langdon as the fog grew thicker and thicker almost veiling their faces from one another i told you that the optimists usually had their way said happy we persisted and found that orchard of apples we persisted and found that fat porker now i have been wishing for this fog and i kept on wishing for it until it came harry laughed you do make the best of things happy he said the fog thickened yet more but the invincibles made their way through it the different portions of the army marching in perfect coordination gordon led three divisions of infantry supported by a brigade of cavalry across the shenandoah river and marched east to fisher's hill then he went along the slope of the massanutans recrossed the river and silently came in behind the left flank of the union force under crook early himself with two divisions of infantry and all the artillery marched straight toward cedar creek where he would await the sound of firing to tell him that gordon had completed his great circling movement then he would push forward with all of his might and he and gordon appearing suddenly out of the fog and dark would strike sledgehammer blows from different sides at the surprised union army it was a conception worthy of old jack himself although there was less strength with which to deal the blows the invincibles were with early and they arrived in position before cedar creek long before gordon could complete his wide flanking movement both artillery and infantry were up and there was nothing left for them to do but wait the officers dismounted and naturally those who led the invincibles kept close together the wait was long midnight came and then the hours after it passed one by one it was late in the year the eighteenth of october and the night was chill the heavy fog which hung low made it chillier harry as he stood by his horse felt it cold and damp on his face but it was a true friend for all that whether happy wishing for the fog had made it come or not they could have found no better aid he could not see far but out of the vapors came the sound of men moving because they were restless and could not help it he heard too the murmur of voices and now and then the clank of a cannon as it was advanced a little more time passed it was the hour when it would be nearly dawn on a clear day and thousands of hearts leaped as the sound of shots came from a distant point out of the fog end of chapter ten part two